Goodbye Forever, Volume 2 by Nat Jan Rusher. Chapter 20, Part 2. That's it for how many of Shakespeare's coinages I can remember. There's a list of them I once read. My English teacher, Mr Priest, showed it to me and I wrote many of them down. That's why I remember them. I could have given you a longer listing years ago. It should have been obvious to Det that you weren't trying to tell her you were equal to Shakespeare, demanded Rebecca. As Penelope said, there have been many authors who've coined words. True, I pointed that out, but she reminded me that I wasn't an author. But you write poetry, Rebecca stated. I do, but I'm not a published poet. It's outrageous, Merrill interjected, in view of how she was in English at school, that she gets that picky. As I remember, she only got passes in English language and English literature. I'm curious, what did you get? A. A for each at O level and an A at A level. But mind you, I only got two A levels, English and art. Did you ever tell her you'd got straight A in English? No, I laughed. I'm not keen on defending myself. It seems silly. But in terms of her being picky, that's only escalated this year and especially of late. But sometimes it's deserved and it's mainly my fault. Your fault? The ladies chorused with mixed horror and hilarity. Yes, my fault, because I failed to compartmentalise. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. I somehow can't seem to understand that John Lennon and John Milton are not comparable or that a whole herd of creative creatures can't coexist as art. Well, snorted Merrill, you know what we think of that. Yes, and that's really helped me come to my sad conclusion. Is it sad? Yes, it is sad, but not for me, not in that way. I'm feeling sad, yes, but sad for debt. Not that I think I'm any great loss or anything, but I think she's going to be upset for a while, and I don't like to... Well, I sometimes wonder if I could have done anything differently. Yes, you could have done something different, Vic. You could have left her well over a year ago. I shrugged and remained silent for a moment or two. Yes, could have done, and maybe I should have done, but I didn't. And now, well, I quoted Bob Dylan. I ain't saying she treated me unkind. She could have done better, but I don't mind. She just kind of wasted your precious time, Rebecca finished the quotation. Well, I grinned ever so slightly, I won't think twice then. But I think we wasted each other's time. In that, we're equal. 
but I feel that I am more to blame because with my Buddhist background, I have to take the responsibility. Penelope moved her head in a slow side-to-side -side motion that said no. She was about to speak, but I held up my hand to continue and said, I know you don't think that's fair and that I shouldn't take the bulk of the blame, but it is extremely important to me that I do. It's a matter of honour in terms of what I am supposed to represent. It's nobody's fault but mine. We talked a while longer and then the ladies betook themselves to leaving for their respective parental homes. I sat gazing out of the little porthole window by the side of my bed. The river was acting quite normally and that, somehow, was a great comfort. Whatever else went on, there was the river winding its way toward the sea. The sea would receive the river and the river would simply watch. But there'd always be more river flowing. Life would go on till I arrived at some sort of sea somewhere. Then I'd die and be entirely forgotten. Everything that seemed so important would be a zero that failed to register, even as a cipher that betokened emptiness. Maybe Aroyeshe would be recognised again by an incarnation of Kyabje Dujan Rimshe Jigtro Yeshe Dorje. And maybe that future Aroyeshe would make a better job of being who he was supposed to be. Maybe he'd avoid taking up with a series of improbable girlfriends and do something sensible with his life. Maybe I was simply a necessary interim in the continuum. I knew that Pemalingpa's life was not without difficulties, so who was I to wallow in misgivings? I was glad that the ladies had brought the situation with debt out into the open. It made everything so much less arduous. I wasn't locked into my decision as an isolated lump of lead. I had friends, and I had friends who knew debt far better than I did. Debt had reached some sort of peak of hostility on the way back from Stratford, and although I really didn't want to end our relationship before the degree shows, neither did I wish for an unrealistic rapprochement. If the ladies were to have remained in Hotwells, I might not have taken off for quite as long as I did, but I thought I may as well absent myself for the entire holidays. Well, that's what I told Det. But I couldn't afford an entire three weeks at Sammy Ling. I'd just stay in Hotwells and work during the time I was not at Sammy Ling. No one would be any the wiser. I didn't like being devious, but my plan was set with the best intentions I could muster. It was unfair to bid farewell to Det on the eve of the degree shows. The last thing in the world I wanted was to damage her prospects in that way. But I did not want to spend any more time with her than I could help. In many ways, the plan worked extremely well. I had space on either side of Sammy Ling, and I felt that this would enable me both to prepare for my time with Gyalwa Karmapa and to spread 
to spend time alone afterwards in order to absorb, digest or whatever it was that would happen. As it happened, debt was not vastly put out by my absence. I trust you will not get so transcendent that you'll transcend the ability to mount your degree show. I've heard of mounting horses' debt, but I'd be hard put to swing my leg over an etching. You know what I mean perfectly well. Yes, I do, debt. Yes. I do, and you know perfectly well that making oblique references to transcendental meditation is not the best way to avoid my making play with your language. Touché. So, anyway, sword play apart, I'm glad it works out for you in terms of wanting to spend as much time as you have to complete your costumes. Good luck with that. I look forward to seeing them at the show. You've got some fabulous stuff there, things I've seen so far, that is. I'd be pleased to show you my stuff and to see your stuff, of course. Det was evidently vaguely affronted by my use of the word stuff. We are such stuff as dreams are made on Det, and our little life is rounded with a sleep. Dette looked irked. Shakespeare, she yawned. Indeed, Prospero, the Tempest, somewhere in Act Four, I believe. Touché une deuxième fois. However, I would have thought you'd have wanted to spend Easter working. You've worked every hour since the first year, so it's frankly bizarre that you now want to take off to see yaks in Bonnie's Scotland. Well, you know, Det, the yaks miss me. And anyway, Derek says I have enough work for three degree shows as it is. So all I need to do is complete my prose poetry piece for related studies. I can work on that at Sammy Ling, as there's always plenty of time between sessions on these events. Oh yes, your Iliad. How's that going? More or less finished. I just need to run through it a few more times to make sure it flows well. I'm surprised you can tell whether it flows or not. I can't understand a word of it. Well, there you go, I yawned. It's not the kind of writing that appeals to everyone. Or anyone as you say, or anyone. You could always try Finnegan's Wake as light relief. Sorry, that was sarcasm. I missed it. I've not read Finnegan's Wake. I stood up and walked over to the bookshelf. I pulled down a copy of Finnegan's Wake. Try this, I said as the book fell open at chapter four. As the lion in our tear garden remembers the menufars of his Nile, shall Arias forget Ariel or Boghas, the barragams of the Maramarazals from Marmania? It may be Tot's weir sense, full and agin and twentig, have sigil posted what in our breathing bust 
the besieged bedreamt him still and solely of those lilyliths undeveiled which had undone him gone for age and knew not the watchful treachers at his wake and theirs to stay fooey fooey chammer missus zippy zoopy larsen lads zidgen 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 it may be we moist ends hasten ourselves te declarir it that he reglimid presso the fields of heat and yields of wheat where coral gold is it shamed and shone it may be we haven't to upseek a bitty door or a good township's currents want we mute that with his deep-seeing insight had not wishing often been but good time wasted within his patriarchal shamana broad stain bold city twill be twill be he conscious of enemies a king billy white horsed in a thin glass mill prayed as he sat on anxious seat couldn't ye neat gift may to bout appear soft eyeballs during that three and a hell of hours agony of silence ex profundis malorum and bred with unfeigned charity that his word wounder on eagles to the teeth who momined nash of girabash would go any old where in the weeping world on his mottled belly the rab to creep on his need for milk music or married missuses might mercy to providential benevolences who hate prudence's astuteness and fall into the first of a distinguished dynasty of his posteriors enough enough that laughed that's diabolical that's english literature irish literature to be precise or irish illiterature well it's all in a point of view i suppose and pardon my insulting James Joyce with my description of his book as English literature. It's a hangover from A-level English literature. We studied Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce, and I would seem to have inadvertently retained that erroneous miscategorization of the author's nationality. Point taken. And I also must say that Joyce makes your prose poetry look eminently readable. Thank you, Dad. That's what I was hoping. Anyway, so you're off to see Fu Manchu put his hat on again. No, Dad. I'm going to Clacton on Sea to have an illicit affair with an elderly octopus. Why do you always have to talk nonsense? I was just making a joke. Have you lost your sense of humour? Yes, Dad. I think I have lost my sense of humour. I'm a dull, dreary, desultory dolt with arcane interests in literature as well as religion. Having said this, I gazed out of the window in silence and after a few minutes, Dad decided that it was time to leave. My statement was obviously loaded with the wish for her to leave, even though I'd not devised it deliberately. Dett was capable of great subtlety of interpersonal perception and knew immediately whenever I reached a point of no return. 
It was as if she knew that one further acerbic aside would precipitate an irre irrevocable decision with regard to her. For all my peculiar perceptual opacity, vis-a-vis -vis the thoughts of others, I could always read debt quite easily at these times. She'd have the look of someone who'd strayed onto a minefield and was taking tentative steps backwards. I always spared her the feared detonation. Always, even though, from me, the explosion would have been innocuous in tone. I bade her good night. She wished me a wonderful time, almost as if she'd not endeavoured to goad me with indecorous facetiousness bare minutes before. I had no idea why Det felt compelled to do that. It was not as if I frequently bent her ear with Buddhism. In fact, I never mentioned the subject, or not at least since the first year. The subject was taboo unless I wanted facile rejoinders or acerbic faux Dorothy Parker reposts. I breathed a sigh of relief after debt departed and sat there somehow discombobulated by decisions. Why? I mean, why? Why was it that I'd decided to wait until after the degree show to end our relationship? Oh yes. I knew why. It was so that it wouldn't affect her at that vital juncture. I had to keep remembering the importance of that decision. I was only doing what I knew I was capable of doing. It wouldn't kill me. It wouldn't even affect me emotionally that much, unless I made an unseemly internal fuss about it. I decided that as it was not the trenches of the Somme in World War I, I had nothing about which I could possibly complain. Three marvellous weeks lay ahead. They'd be three weeks where I could be whomsoever I turned out to be. I'd be single, to all intents and purposes, although the idea of being romantically available was not on the cards. It wasn't even appealing. It was, in fact, so completely unappealing that I could almost have opted for monastic ordination. I remembered the words of Dujamrumshe. With each life circumstance, whatever is enacted, stare directly into the enactment with all the senses. I intended to remain single for the foreseeable future. I'd say goodbye to debt, and then I'd be extremely careful before I got romantically embroiled again. There was something about being single that seemed wonderfully alluring. I could go where I wanted. I could do whatever I pleased. I'd never have to see another Chekhov play. How many plays about a cherry orchard can one Russian write anyway? He did have the honesty to call one of them the Cherry Orchard. But then I had to see Uncle Vanya, and there was the Cherry Orchard again. Not that I have anything against Cherry Orchards, but I'd never given debt a hard time about plays that dip below my personal enjoyment standards. 
Maybe that's not entirely true. Eugene O'Neill's long day's journey into night took the biscuit for arduous evenings I have known. That was not because it was poorly written, but three hours or so of watching human beings emotionally butcher each other was not my idea of an edifying experience. I discovered later that Eugene O'Neill had never written with the idea of its ever being published. It was simply a piece of personal process that he never intended to see the light of day. Just as I was thinking these thoughts, I stopped in my tracks. What was I doing ranting on in my mind about Chekhov and Eugene O'Neill? This would have to stop. I decided that freedom had to mean freedom from time-wasting, freedom from internal dialogue, freedom from recriminations, freedom from resentment. What had I to resent anyhow? My situation had been all of my own making. My situation now and in the future would also be all of my own making. The only realistic mental state was openness to the future and to whatever the future held. I was on the brink of a new adventure and one that might change my life forever. I wrote a note to myself and placed it under my pillow so that I would see it on my return. It read, Dear Vic, goodbye forever. Yours sincerely, Chugyam. I spent the next five days working on various projects. I cooked meals. I went to bed early. I started getting up early so I'd be on the same time frame as Sunny Ling by the time I arrived. The plan worked well. I noticed how much more I accomplished by getting up at five and being in bed by or before ten. Time flew and yet there was more time in the day than I'd known since being in the Himalayas in 1971. 